So, Andy, in a nice way, was trying to tell me how loud I was before service. He was like, you know, you project your voice well, so I'm going to have to turn the volume down. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, brother. That's a teacher Andy, right? All right, so what are we talking about here? Let's see. Next one up. There we go. That was beautiful. See, I didn't know it was going to look like that, because like, like I told you before, Everybody needs to check in their life. Right? Yeah. Joseph just made that awesome. He made that better than what I had before. Thank you, Joseph. We should take that. All right, so we've been doing a series. And we've been doing a series called More Than Enough. And we kind of fill in the blank, right? We did More Than Enough Power at first. And then we talked about More Than Enough Grace. And now we're moving into More Than Enough Opportunity. But right. the reality is, is that you can't have any description after More Than Enough without having grace and power in it. Yeah. So grace is in the DNA of everything we're going to talk about. You can't have more than enough power without the grace to get the power. Right. You can't have more than enough wisdom, opportunity. All those things are connected back to the core of grace. Yes. Right. So those are some of the things we're going to talk about. We got to catch up a little bit on life. You know, last time I was speaking, you guys have stuck with me for two weeks. Okay. You stuck with me. Lord willing, the creek don't rise, as my wife always says. Right? You're stuck with me for two weeks in a row, and we're kind of getting into more than enough opportunity here. Uh, but, you know, we got to catch up a little bit from last time I spoke. It was a little while ago. And, you know, I, I'm trying to mind my own business in life. You know, I'm trying to just deal with all the other challenges I got going on in my life. And it was kind of like this windstorm of uh, body blows I got hit with. So, uh, now, Latoya has already heard one of these stories. Because I had to share it with the faculty and staff because I was presenting down there with them. But, you know, I was just trying to watch a movie. And enjoy some Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> and while I was enjoying that Sour Patch Kid, I started to notice that a tooth was walking around in my mouth. <gasps> yes. And I was struck with fear. And then I was like, oh, do I need to cry, scream? What do I need to do right now? I'm trying to watch a movie. I'm here to watch uh, Ant Man Wasp. Anybody? Marvel? So I'm trying to watch a movie, and uh, previews are going on, and all of a sudden, my tooth is floating around in my mouth. And I'm like, I am getting old. <laughs> like, people fall out of my mouth, like, this is just not a good thing. So I had a crown there, and that crown decided to jump off with the sour patch. Oh, my goodness. Right? So, so that was problem number one I kind of got hit with. And then because I'm old and I have a lot of back problems, I get hit with back spasms. You might have a back spasm before. Oh, just locks up on you for a few days. So I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I got to do Right? And so I'm like, you know, I listen to Brian's sermon. I'm like, man, I, I need to walk with God. I need to slow down. I'm taking a day off. And he and I are going to spend some time together. We had a great time. But in, during that time we were together, I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, I didn't buy uh, tickets on American Airlines for $995. Oh, no. My credit card. Well, what's a head cold? Well, 
You know, when I grew up in Vegas, I didn't ever have to experience allergies. It's dry out there. It's a desert. No allergies allowed out there. Right? They're burned up by the heat. Alabama introduced me to allergies. It introduced me to sinus problems. It introduced me to all the head problems. And I have done a lot of things in my life. Like, I have played football with fractured bones. I think I broke my thumb once, and I just never really got it checked out. I just kept getting it taped up. I didn't want to tell the coaches that I didn't want to miss. I've had concussions. I've had all these kind of injuries and played through them. But if you give me a head cold, I am aware. I am aware. I can't stand what my sinuses and throat are going bonkers. Can you write that? Or maybe you're just tough to those things. You're just real tough. Right? So, you know, all those things that keep hitting, you know, you got the heavy stuff going on, but then you got all those other things that keep my tooth falling out, back spasm, all this stuff. I'm like, what is going on with life here? Father in heaven, it just seems like there's not even a plan going on. What is happening to me? Right? It just seems like I'm the piñata and everybody's taking a hit. Right? So, you know, I'm not much into boxing. Frank is, so... Good to see you there, Mr. Frank. Uh, if, if you need to learn about boxing, you can always ask him. But I do know this about boxing, that if I'm guarding my head and I get hit, I'm leaving something open, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Now, like, I have to take my head because I don't want to get knocked out. Right. right? But a lot of those things that happen to us are like body blows. Mm-hmm. Right? And if we keep our hands down too long, what's going to happen? Right in the head. Right? And so what we're going to talk about really goes backwards, then goes forward. That's why we need two weeks at it. Because really to learn about the opportunity God has for us, we really got to have that helmet on well. We really got to have that helmet of salvation on well. All right, Amy. All right. So that's what we're going to talk about here a little bit today as we go in. So this is the end game right here. You can get to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then we'll get started. Come on, brother. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time together. Uh, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the generous wisdom that you give. Thank you that you're always willing to teach us. Thank you that you're never caught by surprise by what we experience in life. That's right. Right? Father, that you're never in a panic. You always have a plan. You have a plan. You always will guide us towards the best. That's right. Your working in love is something we will never understand. That's right. Father, our minds are too small. But Father, help us increase our faith. Help us grow in our faith and your planning, and your timing for our lives, and all the great and amazing things you have done, are doing, and will do. Yes, Father. And we pray all this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is the end game. So when we talk about more than enough opportunity, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right? Right? That's an amazing passage. That's a passage that inspires me, but being the A-type personality I can be, the first thing I start thinking about is, what do I need to go do? What do I got to go do? I need to go do something. Right? Let me go and do. Because that's how I'm wired, right? But really, when we unpack this a bit more, God, in this letter, because anytime you start reading uh, a letter in the Bible and you pick one verse, you're kind of starting mid-conversation, right? So you got to understand the context more before you understand the impact of that statement, right? Right. So that's what we're going to do a little bit. We're going to take some time 
learning the context a bit more before we unpack this verse. We'll come back to this at the end. But one of the things I want you to think about is I, I'm sure everybody in here would agree that grace changes us. It certainly yeah. does. Get an amen on that? Amen. amen. Right? And so, but the challenge is, is like I know that intellectually. Yeah. Right? And I know I've been given grace. But then when I start getting hit with the storms of life, I can be the first one to be like Peter in the boat when the storm hit and be like, Lord, we're going to drown. Don't you care? That's right. That's right. And, you know, Jesus responded that with, where's your faith? Right. Yeah. Right? Maybe you can relate with that. Now, when you start getting hit with life, that grace and what God has already done just kind of goes out the window. Right? And so what I realized about myself is my conviction on what God has done has to be deeper. That's right. So I actually have to go backwards before I can go forwards and start understanding what he wants me to do in the future. Right. Okay. I need a deeper conviction of what he's already done That's right. to have more confidence about what he is doing and going to do going forward. Right. So here we are. We are going to talk a little bit about did you know about the church in Ephesus? Now, you may have known these things already, but I was kind of really startled at what I learned. Okay? So if we talk about the book of Ephesus and just the city, I, there was one commentator that wrote about it that it was like Las Vegas times 25. Oh, wow. Right. Right. I grew up in Vegas. So that, I resonated with that. The city of sin. sin. Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> I guess they were the city of sin before Las Vegas, right? Wow. Well, you know, so I'm like, well, I need to learn a little bit more about this uh, Ephesus and see what's going on there. But it was a huge trading port, right? It was a big city. It was a big city in the Roman Empire, right? So when they traded from east to west, that was the stopping point that was out there in the east, right? So it was huge. It was powerful. It was a part of that. A lot of money, a lot of transactions, a lot of idolatry, a lot of temple worship, a lot of pagan idols. A lot of that, right? Kind of like seemed like darkness was raining there. And this little old church was having trouble. Then we move into the history of the church. It was planted around 54 AD. So that's when Priscilla and Aquila and Paul were really trying to start that church. Apollos was a part of it at the beginning. And so you can see its beginnings in 18. You can see the church that started in 19. Paul actually stayed there three years. One of his longest stints. Right? So what he's doing is spending time there preaching. Amazing journey. I encourage you to go back and read that because it kind of gives you a bit of an understanding moving into why Paul was saying what he was saying in the letter in Ephesus. Right? They had these amazing things happening. I mean, they were, you know, casting it. Paul had so many miracles happening that a handkerchief of his was healing people. Right? Then they had riots there as a reaction. This guy... Demetrius the silversmith was starting this big old riot, right? He started this big old riot because of he was losing money because people were repenting mm. and moving away from all that idolatry and starting to recognize God. Oh, wow. All this controversy, and even in the midst of all that controversy, they had some issues between Gentiles and Jews. And you can see that all in 19, that the Jews are an oppressed minority in that environment. And then you go on, and there's so much in the Bible about Ephesus. There's Acts 18, 19, 20, 
20 where he's warning these elders about false, false teaching coming in. But then we also have First and Second Timothy and Revelation. So all these things are floating around. In this window that God gives us, I don't know if there's another congregation in the Bible that has this much about it. Oh, wow. So if you look from 54 AD to 95 AD when Revelation was written, all that span is happening. Wow. Right? And so that context of Ephesus, the Ephesian letter is in 62 AD. Probably about eight years old as a church. Okay? This is on that first. Before we explore, anybody recognize? That's right. Yeah. Before we explore, we see where Ephesus with all my visually impaired people, I'm going to point to it. That's right. Help y'all out a little bit. <laughs> right, right by the seaport. Help us connect a little bit visually. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to read a little bit. We're going to read probably a little bit more than usual. Because you know what? I really couldn't figure out how to say things better than God did. Amen. So I was like, you know what? We just need to read the passage. Right. And I probably shouldn't try to figure out things to say better, right? So let's start over here in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to highlight some points here. And I want you to focus on this as you're reading. So we're going to look for something while we're reading. I want you to think about how powerful the verses are about God's love for us. All right? So we'll start in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with his, the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Now that's amazing. And what I get overwhelmed with when I read that are all the rich things that are in there. Right. You could do a long series just on Ephesians chapter 1, yeah. unpacking each aspect of that. Yeah. And sometimes when things are like that, I disconnect from them. Mm -hmm. Like this is too good to be true, I don't really understand all that. Yeah. Right. No. right? Maybe you can relate to that a little bit. But I want you to think about some key points that jumped out to me while I was studying this. One is this. In verse 4 through 6, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Mm -hmm. So, before he said, Let there be light, he had a plan for salvation mm -hmm. for all his people. 
Like life is not haphazardly happening all around us. Right. God has a plan. Mm. Right. So before he created everything that you see around, he was already working out. He knew man would fall. He knew Jesus would need to come. He knew all the needs of your life. All the forethought that God put in in advance. Right. Next up. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I don't use words like lavish. <laughs> you know, I got to look stuff up like that because I don't really use that language. But it, it, to me, it just sounds like somebody's being spoiled. Right. In abundance. In overwhelming abundance. Right? And what God is trying to get us to connect back with, always, when it comes back to the cross and the gift that he gave, is getting us to connect back with our own sin. Getting us to realize that his forgiveness for our sin was no small matter. Wow. Maybe you're like me and you minimize your sin. You minimize who you were back then. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Maybe you got it all together and you got that figured out and you can help us out at the service. Right. But the whole point is, God is always wanting to remind us of that integral fact that he has forgiven our sins. And that shouldn't be a small matter to us. Next up, verse 13 and 14. When you believe, you are marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, with the deposit guarantee. You know, and I was trying to think of some analogies to connect back to this, but so look, bear with me for a second because there's no perfect one. But let's say you had $50,000 just sitting in the bank. You wanted to buy, put a deposit in on a house. So let's say you just dropped off that $50,000 on a house and you said, This is where I want to live. But then you never take care of the house, you don't care if it's vandalized, and then you don't live there. Does that make any sense? No. Doesn't make any sense at all, does it? So what God does is God says, look, I created you. Right. I knit you together in your mother's womb. Mm -hmm. When you believed and repented and were born again into baptism, I put my Holy Spirit in you. Wow. I'm going to come and collect that. I'm going to reside in you in the interim. That's a precious commodity, God. That's a value, valuable commodity to God. God's not like, oh, let me just blow this off. Right. I'm going to put a piece of me inside you. Right. I'm coming for you. Wow. Sure. In fact, you're so important to me that I'm going to reside within you during this interim until I come back. Right. Wow. You come to me first. Right. So all this entails all the planning mm. and the forethought of God with us, with the most important things that revolve around life. Because there's really no more important question in life than do you know Jesus? Right? I mean, I get it. I know you want to do things in life and you want to get your PhD, you want to be a million dollar uh, fashion model, sports athlete, you want a contract doing this, you want a big house with a picket fence and 2.5 kids. I know you got it all figured out. 
right? 0.5 of a kid. Yes. That's right. Right? You got it all figured out, your plan. You've mapped it out when you want to do it, by what age you want to do it, where you want to be when you're 50, where you want to be when you're 60, unless you're your brother and you're just trying to live moment by moment. Most of the guys here understand that. They're just trying to figure out what they're going to eat for lunch. Right? Talk about it. But God has put so much thought into this on the most important issue and so much intentionality on the most important issue that I've started to realize that i got to change my perspective about the future. How much do I value thinking about heaven? Before I start thinking about what God wants me to do here. Mm. But let's keep reading. Verse 15. So then Paul just breaks out and says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the also the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's another mouthful, isn't it? That's a lot for our brain to process. But here's some things that I pulled away. When you think of power, you know, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? What do you think is power? What do you think that God does that is powerful? Because what God, how he describes his own power is that it's incomparable. So whatever you can think of with God's power is beyond that. And then he starts going into giving an example about that when he goes into verse 20. Because when he talks about the same mighty power and strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you even know what the heavenly realms are? If you do, tell me afterwards. Because it exists, but I don't know what it is. So, God is so powerful that he says, look, this is what I can do. Somebody can get dead. And I can bring them up and seat them at the right hand of God. Right. In the heavenly realms, a place you don't even understand. Right. A place that many people don't believe exists. Because the only way we can recognize the heavenly realms is if we live by faith and not by sight. Right, right. right. The only way we can recognize the dead being raised is living by faith. Mm -hmm. right. Have you ever seen a dead person resuscitate themselves? <laughs> Look, I've been to a lot of funerals. That's a sore spot for me. And when somebody's dead, they're dead. They're not bringing themselves back to life. 
You know, some people, when they're trying to begin their relationship with God, they feel like, i got to get myself together before I can come to God. How can a dead person resuscitate themselves? You have to have Christ to bring you to life. Some of us are struggling spiritually, and we say, look, I'm just going to get some things in order before I get back involved again. You can't do it by yourself. We are dead. In our sins. Right. Not a lot. Right. If my dog is dead and I tell him to come here, he's not coming. Wow. <laughs> 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 he's an amazing dog with Rocky. <laughs> he's a very strange dog. Got <laughs> sick a little bit. Had one of her friends over yesterday and she's been very kind to, to Rocky. You know, he, she, she goes, Is something wrong with him? <laughs> And we just all started laughing because we've been saying that for two years. <laughs> we love him to death. Everybody loves Rocky. Everywhere we take him, they love him. <laughs> but he's a strange little fella. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that. But you guys get my point? I mean, like, you know, when I think about God raising the dead, I'm like, well, yeah, he should be able to raise the dead. He's God, right? right. And, but, but when God extends the example and says, look, I don't just raise the dead. I raise you up to the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. That's how powerful I am. That's just an example. Things you can't understand. That's how powerful God is. Then verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every knee shall bow. Now, if we really had a conviction about this, if we really had a conviction that every knee shall bow, and that Jesus is far above everything, would we be so afraid on a day-to-day basis? Verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. For who? The church. So God gave Jesus everything and put it under his feet and said, do whatever you like for the church. All resources run through Jesus. Financial opportunities, reaching out to other people, you name it, who does it run through? It runs through Jesus. That's right. He's over all things for the church. There's no government that's more powerful. There's no leader that has more authority. Which is something we need to elaborate a bit more on. Because if you're shaken by what some political leader says, we need to have a deeper conviction about who's in charge. Because it's the same God that was over the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, every empire that's been, every empire that rises and falls, right. his kingdom is everlasting. Right. Amen. But we're still stuck on this heavenly realms thing. You know, because we know Jesus is up there, he's at the right hand of God, but then I started thinking, you know, this has popped up a few times. Like, it keeps popping up. And then I started realizing, start saying, we're up there. 
And that's kind of like odd to me. So I'm like, I'm right here. Right. I don't feel like I'm in the heavenly realms right now. Wow. Like I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. Right? I've traveled a lot. Like I've lived overseas in Belgium. I've lived across the United States. I've lived on the East Coast, West Coast, the South, the East, all over the place. But I never, I don't know about the heavenly realms. But then, when the Bible says it, am I going to trust what the Bible says about it, or am I going to trust what my own thinking is? Right? And so here, even in the beginning, when we first started, I don't know if you caught it, but in verse 3, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What we're going to read in a second is that God has raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Blanket said Right? Concise, direct. This is where you're at. When you're praying, do you ever just feel like you're so disconnected from God? Yeah. So far away? But what God wants us to understand is that somehow, in His amazingness, we're not only right here when we obey the gospel, but we're also in heavenly realms. Wow. And we're with Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father. Our prayers don't really have that far to go. Wow. And the intercession that Jesus has and the Holy Spirit has to help us, you know, when we are weak and we don't know what we have to pray for, it says the Holy Spirit will intercede. All you have to do is activate prayer. Keep it simple for me, God, right? I don't know what to pray. Just try. Just try. Let God take care of the rest. But the reality we always feel is that we got challenges here, right? That's what makes us feel like we're not in the heavenly realms, right? I'm like, I got too much life in me. Well, Ephesians 6 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's kind of challenging because, you know, when I have a problem with somebody, I have a problem with somebody. Right? But God say, no, you, you really don't have a problem with that somebody. He's changing the whole conversation. No, it's not your spouse. No, it's not your kids. No, it's not your co-workers. It's not any of that stuff. They're being used and manipulated at the time. Right? Right? But it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the realms. I need to learn more about the heavenly realm since I'm spending so much time up there. Right? I gotta understand this a little better. But it keeps things in perspective. So when you start thinking, hey, I prayed about this. God, why aren't you making it happen? Why aren't you making it clearer? Sometimes you just gotta take a step back and realize how much is going on at one time. That's right. All the things that God has already done, yeah. is doing, going to do. And spiritual battles that are happening at that moment in time. That it's not that person next to you that you need to forgive. It's really a spiritual force of evil. Right? Alright, let's get back to reading. Ephesians chapter 2. Close it out. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world 
and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now working those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Mm-hmm. Pause there for a second. That's a lot of meat and potatoes again, right? Re-emphasizing the fact that we already talked about. You know, I have a very bad habit of elevating myself in my head about by what I'm doing. Yeah. Having my quiet time, I'm trying to reach out, I'm trying to do a sermon, I'm trying to do this, and I start thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. Yeah. You know, maybe you struggle with that too when you're doing well spiritually. <laughs> Whatever that means, right? Does that mean I'm being more productive than normal? <laughs> what does that mean? Right. I mean, because I'm still sinning when I'm doing well right. spiritually, right? I'm still a sinner. <laughs> Right? I guess we can agree on that, right? But the whole point is, the more I'm in touch with what I really do deserve, the better I'm doing spiritually. The more I'm in touch that I deserve, right? Like, I was dead before Jesus. If we boil the message down to the cross, is that enough? Is the cross enough? For you to persevere in your faith like that. Wow. That you were lost and crossed allowed you to be found. Because, you know, all this rich language that's used when it's talking about how we're made alive with Christ, I want you to think for a second how radical that is because with God, when he's talking about giving us a new life, it's, it's not like he just gives us a suit and a new job. Okay? He changes the purpose of our life. He changes the relationships in our life. He gives us a godly family. He gives us a new humanity, which actually it talks about that later on in chapter 2. He said you're part of a new humanity. He even talks about in Galatians 3.27, he said... For all of you who are baptized into Christ and clothed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So he brings us into a kingdom that has no caste system. Like all the things we hate about society now, all the oppression we see now, does not exist, should not exist, in God's kingdom. Wow. That's the kingdom that he reigns over, far above everybody else, that cuts across all countries, all geographic spans, all races, all languages. That's the power of the cross. A radical kingdom that's a new humanity with no passes. Wow. And it's the only place you'll find that. That's right. Because there's no amount of laws we can make. To make that happen here on earth. That's right. So God reaches deep into his grace. And as we continue, and it says in verse 7, 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here we come again, and we're coming back to where we started. And when we're looking at this, and we're seeing this power of this grace, my whole life, you know, Brian talked about it last week a lot, how I was socialized. And ever since I've been young, I've, I've been socialized that way, I've embraced it, I've ran with it about competing. I love to win. If we're thumb wrestling, I want to win. Right. You do not beat me every time. Or <laughs> I not thumb wrestle. If I'm watching my sports team, I want to win. Right? If I'm playing basketball back before I became on the physically unable to perform, I want to win. Right? Like, I, I, I just, just I like to win. Right? But what has to be removed from my language when I meet Jesus is I can't say I did it. Uh -huh. Amen. Wow. I have to think I did it out of that. Mm -hmm. And if I think that I did it, that's wrong. Because no one will boast. Meaning no one. The most spiritual person you can think of. Not a lot of boast of that. That's right. Paul can't boast of that. Moses, and anybody that you learn about on your journey, neither can they. Wow. Because it's a gift. And that changes how you look at things. Yeah. If you live. Because the trying to figure out what God wants me to do in life is about me doing it. And what do I have to do? That sounds a little bit more like I did it, right? Yeah. And a lot less about, man, what do you want me to do? Wow. Yeah. Come on. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Right. Come on. God, how, what job do you want me to work at? Do you want me to go to grad school? Do you want me to marry this person? Do you want me to date this person? Surrendering leads to the purpose. Come on. So, I know this is a real un-American, right? Because we're going to go pursue happiness at all costs. That's what we do. Right? Very countercultural to talk about going backwards before you go forwards. To talk about surrender. But it's the power of God moving. Yes. It's the power of God moving in His way, in His timing, that if the secret things belong to Him, if all things are in His plan, in His understanding, which is far beyond what we can understand, 
Surely he can give you clarity on your decision. Surely he can give you clarity on what you're supposed to do. But one of the things I would ask you, though, So, here's something for you to read on Psalm 139. Some homework. Okay? Verse 17, what it says is, How precious are your thoughts to me. So, my challenge for you is this. See, in working at a school, you have to have, your teachers have to have two goals every year. They've got to have a team goal and they've got to have an individual goal. Because they are part of a team, but they're also an individual teacher. Right? Well, look, we need that same dynamic going on in here. Yes, you should dream for yourself. Yes, you should dream big. But should you hold so tightly to it? Come on, trust God with how he moves. That's right. Dream big, but trust in this change. Right? But you shouldn't just be dreaming for yourself. You should be dreaming for the body of Christ. So in a sense, what is your team goal? And what is your individual goal? Pray about it. Yeah. Pray about it. And the question I want you to really, really look at is this. David was able to say in Psalm 139, 17, how precious are your thoughts to me, O Lord? If God's are God's thoughts precious to you while you make that decision, because He will lead you in the right path. He will lead you to the plans He has and the good works He wants you to do. To God be the glory. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much uh, just for your grace. Thank you for helping us with your word and guiding us through how we think about life. And I just pray that you give everyone in this room and everybody listening generous wisdom. Generous wisdom to navigate life, to, to be in step with your spirit, to be in step with your will. And that if they don't know you, Father, to seek to want to know you. Father, that you just give us a new life a new purpose, a new song on our lips as you guide us forward. Father, please forgive us for how we fail you. And we pray all this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.